So what gets you angry? I mean, and everybody does get angry. You, you might say, well, I don't get angry, I get frustrated, or I get, I get bothered, or I get annoyed. Let, let's be honest, it's all the same thing. We all get angry. So what makes you angry? And how do you respond when you are angry? I mean, some of us are internal in our anger. We just stuff it way down deep inside. And some of us are much more external when we get angry. The whole world knows it right away. Some of us are slow to anger. It takes a long time, but boy, when we finally get there, you'll know it. And some of us are quick, quick to anger. But as Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, we all boil but at different degrees. So what about you? What does anger look like for you? I, I think it's a good question, not just because it's important for, for our following of Jesus. If you're here as a follower of Jesus, it's important for us to understand the impact of anger in us and how we can steward it through us in a way that's healthy and helpful. But it's also good to wrestle with because, you know, we live in a day and age where, where anger is really celebrated. I think you could say that in today's day and age, anger is almost considered a virtue, so long as you are angry at the things that the culture tells you you should be angry about. Not only is it a virtue, but I think anger is a kind of currency in today's day and age. You can get a lot with your anger. You can accomplish a lot with your anger. And there are people who know this. There are people in politics and the media who are asking you to spend your anger with them because it's very helpful for their causes. Anger is everywhere. So I'll ask you one last time. What gets you angry? And what does it look like when you express it? The reason I ask is because we are in the middle of a series called All the Feels, where we're talking about our emotions and how to steward them, how to, how to manage them rightly as a follower of Jesus. And, and the big idea is, is really this, that though we live in a culture that says, you are what you feel, the Christian faith teaches us that I am not what I feel. I am what God says about me and what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am a person who has feelings, but my feelings don't have to have me because God's word and God's own son, they have me. And what we're trying to do is understand how to have emotions in the lens and, and grounded in the truth of that promise that you are what God has said about you and what Christ has done for you. And so today, we're, we're wrestling with the reality of anger. Now, now, before we dive too deep, I have to share with you something that's really important to me that you may not agree with, but I believe that I stand on good biblical ground when I make this statement. And the statement is this, that only God can be good and angry. Only God can be truly good and really angry and acting in his anger and still be good. You see it throughout the scriptures. God gets angry over a whole host of things, always for good reason. He gets angry at injustice. He gets angry at evil. He gets angry at disobedience. And he's still good, and he's still perfect, and he's still holy, and he's still pure. Why? How can he be angry and still be good? Well, because he's God. He gets to. And you and I think... We think that our anger is always good, too. I mean, maybe after the fact, we'll regret some things. But, but in the moment, for the most part, when we're angry, we feel very self-righteous. It's always for a good reason. 
And we are really excellent at rationalizing our angry expressions, not just feeling anger, but expressing it to the world. But the scriptures tell us that, that rarely, if ever, is your holding on to that emotion of anger and then letting it, letting it be expressed deeply within you or violently through you is ever a good thing. I mean, find me one scripture that says, oh yeah, it's really good to just walk around angry. You won't find it. If anything, you find a mountain of scriptures that tell you the opposite. I mean, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes so far as to say, you know when you get really angry in your heart towards another person? Yeah, in God's eyes, that's equivalent to murder. Oh, okay. And then just look at the Old Testament, especially like the book of Proverbs, and you see verse after verse after verse talking about the dangers of unbridled anger and, and people who have no control over their anger at all, who aren't wise when it comes to anger. Here's just a sampling of them. This is just six. I could have pulled 60. The scriptures go out of their way to say that only God is good and angry. When we hold on to anger and we don't process it, we don't deal with it, we just bury it or explode with it, it's bad. It's really bad. Now, that's not to say, and we're going to get a bit philosophical here, that that's not to say that anger in itself is bad. What I would say to you is that the emotion of anger, the impulse of anger, is in fact a reflection of God's image in us. God gets angry when, when good things are threatened by bad things. And so we, when we're made in God's image, we get angry when we perceive a good thing is threatened by a bad thing. But, but you and I are so corrupted by sin that our perception is off and our impulse of what to do with that alarm of anger is off. And so oftentimes we'll get angry at wrong things. And even when we get angry at the right things, we'll do all kinds of wrong things with it. And that's why it's impossible for us, impossible for us to hold on to and bury anger or express anger in a way that is helpful or holy whatsoever. So, so we have to have another option. And in the rare circumstances where something good really does come from our anger, I would say to you that it's only because we have pivoted off of anger onto something more profitable and useful. And, and that's really what I want to talk about today, is how do we process our anger in a way that's healthy and biblical and move away from anger towards something that's helpful when it does strike us? And so it begins with this biblical insight about anger. Uh, the scriptures teach us that, that all of your anger, whatever it is, whether it's anger over a big thing or a small thing, uh, whether you're, as my daughter would say, big mad or little mad, there's only one reason why you're mad. Anger comes from loss. Anger is connected to loss. Anytime that you feel the impulse of anger, the reason you're angry is because you are grieving an unmet expectation. You are not getting what you want. And what you want might be for some injustice in the world to be righted, but it still comes down, your impulse of anger comes down to what you want. Or it may be that there's some crazy driver on the road, and the impulse of anger comes down to what you want. I often get angry driving. I'll confess that to you. I think I have in the past. I'll keep confessing it until it's not an issue anymore, so buckle in. <laughs> I often get angry when I drive, and I get angry because there's someone who I lovingly call an idiot who's in front of me who's going too slow, and I want them to go faster, and I'm not getting what I want, and so I get angry. 
Or there's someone who is racing down I-10, just driving like a maniac, and I want them to slow down, and I don't get what I want, and so I get angry. And I recognize that you may be angry with your boss, who's a narcissist, and that's probably true, or your mother-in-law, who's really manipulative, probably true, or your teenager, who's just dripping with disrespect, which is probably true. And all those things are bad things that shouldn't happen, but you get down to the core of it, the reason you're mad is because you want something, and it's not happening. And you are angry. That's what it comes down to. In fact, Jesus' own brother, James, who became a leader in the early Christian church, he, he was writing to early Christians, trying to help them understand why they had all these issues among them as, as sinful, broken Christians that stemmed from anger. Uh, they, had, they had everything from simple quarrels and fights to people outright threatening one another's lives. And what he tries to help them understand in the book of James is that so much of what they're dealing with in their dysfunction flows from anger that each one of them is harboring in their hearts. And listen to what he says. James chapter 4, starting at verse, verse 1, he says, What is it that causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you as individuals? You desire and you do not have... So you murder. And remember how Christians define murder. It's not just the taking of the life of another person. Jesus defines it with the bar really, really low. You hate other people. And you feel justified in your hatred and fury towards other people. And don't tell me you don't hate anybody because there's at least a split second every day where you hate somebody. I'm killing people all the time in my mind. And so are you. James says the root of it is this. You desire and you do not have, so you kill people. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James's point is this. Anger always has an object. There's always another person that you're angry at or a situation out there that you're angry about. But your anger is never ultimately about the other person or about the object. Anger is ultimately flowing from and about who? It's about you. You are not getting something that you want. And that's where wisdom actually shows itself when wrestling with anger. You understand that this is not just about them. Ultimately, the reason I'm angry is because I'm not getting what I want. Meaning the root of anger is not a you issue. The root of anger is a me issue. Even if what they've done is terrible, horrible, evil, and unjust... Why I'm feeling angry is about me. I'm not getting what I want. Therefore, if you're going to deal with anger in a way that is truly holy, truly helpful, truly profitable, at some point in your anger, you have to shift from wagging fingers at other people or just pointing at the thing that you lost or the thing that's non-existent that really should be there and you have to start looking in the mirror and pointing fingers at yourself. That's how we move to something that is healthy and is truly helpful. And this is where Paul's word to the Ephesians becomes really, really poignant for us. So Paul is talking to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus about how to deal with their anger. And in just two verses, he gives us a ton of wisdom. 
And I want you to keep in mind here that as I reread these verses, that, that Paul's focus in helping us deal with anger, he's not telling you how to deal with people who anger you. He's not telling you how to deal with situations that frustrate you. He understands what James wrote, that the root of anger, if you want to get it out at the root, is inside of you. And so everything that Paul says here in these two verses is focused on you, things you can control when you get angry. Listen to what he says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Just two, two verses packed with wisdom. Uh, you could summarize Paul's words in, in these three simple pieces of advice. When it comes to your anger, be serious, be swift, and be spiritual. Be serious, be swift, and be spiritual. Let me unpack each one of these. When Paul says, be angry and do not sin, what he wants you to do is recognize with very sober eyes that when you are in the moment of anger, be it about a big thing or a small thing, be it about some great injustice in our land or some petty grievance in your family, that you should be sober-minded and clear-eyed, understanding that when you are feeling the impulse of anger, there is a very high likelihood that you're going to do something dumb. There is a very high likelihood that you're going to, as Christians would say, sin, grieve the heart of God. And you're going to think it's for fine reasons. You're going to be blinded by that anger. Paul's saying, look, be sober-minded about anger. You feel it, don't sin. In other words, understand there's a very high probability that you are going to sin. Understand that. And so when you are overtaken with the feelings of anger, here's what a mature, spirit-filled mind does. It says, I'm a dangerous man right now because I'm angry. I'm an untrustworthy woman right now because I am angry. If I act, if I do, if I speak right now, I'm probably going to have to walk it back later, apologize to somebody. I might get sued. I might go to jail. I am angry. That's how this works. Take it serious. Understand that about yourself. And again, this is for those moments where you feel completely, utterly justified in your anger. You can be angry about the right things, but understand that your broken, sinful impulse is to do a lot of wrong with it. Be sober-minded about it. Second, he says, deal with it right away. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's a first century Hebrew idiom that means deal with it before the day is over. In, in Hebrew culture, the day ended at sundown. And so he's saying, deal with it right away. Now, we often interpret this verse in the context of relational repair. If there's something you've done that's made me angry or vice versa, we should deal with it right away. And that's certainly true, but, but that's not the immediate context of these verses. Remember, Paul is focused on you as the individual. He, what he's saying is deal with your anger within you right away. Get to the root of it today. Don't, don't let it sit there and stew. Don't immediately explode. Take some time right away to wrestle with your anger before the day is done. And to assist you with this, I'm going to pass along some questions to you that at one point were passed to me. And these are questions meant to equip you to swiftly process your anger. Now, I realize that this might be easier said than done. Like, I get angry really quick, say, when I'm driving on I-10, and it may be a big ask for me to quickly, quickly process, like, four questions. But, but nonetheless, try. Try. And here are those four questions. What did I want? What did I get? What do I feel? And what does love require? 
Now, I think if you're in touch with what you're feeling at any given moment, you can answer these things pretty quickly. What did I want? Well, I wanted my teenager to treat me with respect. What did I get? I got a teenager. How does it make me feel? It makes me feel like low and small. Like I'm, I'm the dad. I shouldn't feel that way. It makes me feel unloved, unwanted, disrespected. Not just by my kid, but by my wife. She didn't say anything as the kid talked to me like this. What does love require? Now this, this is that last question. That's the one that kind of changes the game. Because what we're tempted to do is just focus on what we didn't get and what the other person deserves. Notice I didn't have you ask that question. But that tends to be where we live. But this fourth question in this series, this is the one that changes the game. What does love require of me? What did I want? What did I get? What do I feel? What does love require? And, and this is the question that Christians ask. This is the one that God draws us to. This is the question through when we answer it, God promises by his spirit to work. And, and when you wrestle with this question, what does love require, even in this angry moment, that's where, that's where beauty comes to life. That's where the power to change the world and make this a little better place comes into existence because far few people ask this question. And when you ask this question, what does love require, God's going to lead you towards two things. He's going to lead you towards mercy for the person who wronged you and trust to him. In some way, shape, or form, your answer to that question, what does love require in this angry moment, it's going to end with you saying, I need to show some kind of mercy undeserved to this person. And I need to trust that everything is in God's hands. Now, mercy towards someone who's angered you or wronged you can take on a bunch of different forms. It could look like you simply not, not returning disappointment with disappointment or choosing to treat someone with more kindness than they deserve for having angered you. Very often, when someone really hurts you, really bothers you, really offends you, what mercy looks like is showing them the grace of speaking truth and love. Rather than just punishing them or ignoring them or blowing up on them, you speak truth with love to them. That's a form of mercy and grace. And trust toward God means understanding that making this whole thing right or being punitive towards the other person or making sure justice ultimately gets done is not your job. That when we try to take that job into our hands, that's when trouble emerges we trust God with that one. And if you don't believe me, oh man, do I have so many verses to prove myself right. I have one right now. Romans chapter 12. Paul is talking to you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is, a, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says God, not you. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, passive-aggressively post on Facebook about them. Oh, that's not what it says, I'm sorry. It says if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What did I want? What did I get? What do I feel? What does love require? That's what changes the whole thing. Now, now you might be saying, Matt, earlier you read the story of Jesus turning over tables in the temple. Jesus got so angry 
that he flipped over tables in the temple, and one of the Gospels says that he even took out a whip, and he started cracking the whip in the temple to scare people off. Jesus did that. Is there ever a time where it's appropriate for me in holding on to my anger, whether I stuff it down or I let it explode, is, is it ever appropriate for me to lash out in my anger in a way that, that disturbs, disrupts, or destroys the world around me? I mean, Jesus did. Is it ever okay for me to do it? No. And you might disagree with me on that. I don't think you can. Again, only God can be really good and really angry. And Jesus is God in flesh, so he gets to flip the tables. Like, only Jesus and the real housewives get to flip tables, not you. Some of you got that joke. Teresa, look it up. Anyway. We don't flip tables. Everybody else does that. Everybody you see on the news is flipping tables. Your violent uncle, your angry dad, flipping tables. Only they're not Jesus, and when they do it, it causes so much destruction. Some of you grew up like that. You know, when your mom did that, she thought she was right. When your dad did that, he thought he was right. But it wasn't, was it? We don't flip tables. Oh, we want to. We turn them. What does love require? And that leads us to choices that are beautiful and kind and compassionate and forgiving and, and we're trusting this greater God to make everything right in the end. We don't flip the tables, we, we turn the tables. And that's what our world needs. That's what your family needs. It's what your friends need. It's what, it's what everybody needs. We don't need more overturned tables. Jesus can do that and send the right message in the right way. I don't think you can. We don't flip the tables, we turn them. Now, if you're tracking with me, some of you might be thinking, Matt, this sounds risky. It sounds like you're saying, like, I can feel anger. That, that's fine. That's, in fact, a reflection of God's image in me. But, but I need to process what I'm thinking and then pivot off of that to something else. Uh, you're saying that, that I, should, I should relinquish my angry explosion. I should relinquish my angry smoldering because nothing good ever comes of that. I should set that aside. That feels risky to me. And I know why it feels risky to you to say, look, I'm going to set my anger aside. Because you, like me and everybody else, you use it as a way to protect yourself. You use it as a way to defend yourself or, or defend other people. And, and on one hand, I, I think that that's understandable and, and, and in certain cases, it's, it's noble to desire that, right? But, but how, how often does it work out really well? How often do you walk away saying, you know what, I'm really glad I, glad I screamed at the Verizon guy about my bill. Or you know what, I'm really thankful that I spent a day and a half cold and distant from my family because my two-year-old spread yogurt all over the backseat of our new car. That was so worth it. How often does it really work out well for you? Jesus makes it okay for us to set our anger aside. Jesus makes us free to forsake our own anger. Because here's what Christ has done for you. Look, God the Father has every reason to be mad at you. For a whole host of things, including all the ways in which you've screwed up the use of anger over the years. And yet, 
He's chosen not to take his good and righteous and holy anger out on you. He'd be totally justified to do it. I mean, he's perfect, we're not. And he has the right to hold us accountable for it. And yet he doesn't. Instead, he takes all of that righteous, right and good anger and he puts it on his son, Jesus Christ, who can actually handle it and absorb it and, and through his death forgive us for all of our sin. He puts it all on his son so that we can say justice was done, but mercy was given. Justice was done on the back and the body of Jesus Christ, but mercy is given to us. And yes, I know that there are people who have wronged you, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's a terrible tool in your hand, but God will wield it rightly. He promises that in the very end when Jesus Christ comes back, as we just said in the words of the Apostles' Creed, there will be a judgment and all those who have wronged you, wronged others, wronged the world with their anger and every other thing who refuse to be covered in the forgiveness earned for all in Jesus Christ and insist through their unbelief on standing in their own two feet before God, judged for all their sins, they will get what they deserve. Justice will be done. Sin's being punished. Nothing escapes God's eye. It's all going to be good. You don't got to be angry to protect yourself or defend yourself. You can pivot to something more profitable and more useful. Because of Jesus Christ. Have you ever met someone who, who has forsaken anger, and not because they don't process it, not because they avoid all the bad feelings, but, but they, have, they understand why they get angry and when they get angry, but they choose to set that aside and just live with something better, like something more joyful? I've met people like that. I know people like that. And often when I see them in a situation where I would be furious, and yet they're choosing something different, I... I, I I am kind of envious of the ease with which they live that life. But do you know what it comes down to for them? It comes down to this. They, they know that anger gets us nothing good, but only increases that which is bad in our hands. And if they're a person of faith, they know that God is already good and angry for us punishing Christ in our place so we never have to worry about punishment for ourselves and making all the wrongs right in the very end when he returns. It's going to be okay. What gets you angry? What do you do when you're angry? If you don't know what your anger does, ask the people who live with you. Ask them, what, what am I like when I'm angry? How do you know that I'm angry? How do you feel when I'm angry? When you feel it well up in you, let us, motivated by God's own spirit, let us be wise. Let us take it serious. Let us deal with it swiftly and ask a better question, what does love require, and let us let us give no snare, no opportunity to the devil. That's what it means to be spiritual. The devil would love nothing more than for you to hold on to your anger and use it against you. 
planting a seed of bitterness deep in your heart or exploding and harming the people around you all the while convincing you that you are completely justified in doing so. Understand that your battle is not just in anger with yourself or with others, but your battle is ultimately with a very real enemy who wants you to hold on to that anger, never reflecting upon yourself, always blaming others, and in the process, destroying yourself. Don't give him a leg up in that battle. Be spiritual about it. And in the end, know that you're making the world a little better place. At the very least, the world of the people who live with you, who work with you, and who love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Help us in our moments of anger not to demand that the world around us be treated as their sins deserve. But instead, having been shown mercy, help us to show mercy. Help us to move away from the impulse of anger and holding on to it onto something more profitable and more peaceful and more loving, more healthy and more helpful. Help us to move and act in love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.